0: Hello, relatable listeners, happy Wednesday. I hope that everyone has had a wonderful week so far. We are halfway there and I am just here to let you know that you can do it. Uh, You can make it. Whatever is happening this week, you've got this. I don't really know why I started like that, but I just wanted to give you a little motivational pep talk in case you are hitting that midweek slump. It is me, Ali Stuckey, here to tell you that you are going to make it through. Okay, today we're not going to talk about that. We are going to talk about a few different things. Actually, there's a lot of different things that I want to talk about. But I don't think that we have time to go through them all. We might. We'll see. Okay, what I definitely want to talk about is Rashida Tlaib and her crazy comments on the Holocaust and what this means about uh, the state of our dialogue right now. Uh, I'm going to talk about the sex strike with Alyssa Milano and the heartbeat bills. And then, of course, we are going to talk about uh, our socialist darling AOC and her um, walking back of her original statement that the world is going to end in 12 years because of climate change. And then I might be able to get to Chips Ahoy and their Mother's Day ad. And then I'm going to answer a dating question that I received. And so there's more that I want to talk about. I want to talk about Trump and China and tariffs and everything that's happening there. If you didn't know, there's like this kind of like trade conflict going on. You've got conservatives that are against the tariffs saying tariffs never work. You also have conservatives that are for the tariffs, saying that this is our strong uh, stance against China. This is what we have to do in order to accomplish both free and fair trade. Uh, There are both sides to that issue. We're not going to be able to get into that today, but I do want to cover that at some point because I think it's an important topic to kind of flesh out and to look at the background of because knowing my audience and knowing myself, really, and a lot of you out there I know for a fact, or like me, you might not have been paying attention to that because you feel like, okay, it doesn't affect your everyday life, and maybe you don't know that much about tariffs. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't, and so I think it would be good to kind of walk back and give a little bit of background, but we don't have time to talk about that today. I also wanted to talk about William Barr and this so-called constitutional crisis that I really think is nothing more than political theater being perpetrated by Democrats who want to cause some sort of crisis and chaos since the uh, uh, report on so-called Russian collusion that they've been trying to uh, gin up for the past two years didn't end up how they wanted. So they still want to say that somehow Trump and the Attorney General William Barr are going against the Constitution and going against the rule of law. I just don't believe that as yet we are in that place. But again, I just wanted to kind of give you a, a brief little summary of my thoughts But with everything else that's going on and with the requests that I've gotten over the past few days of the things that you guys want me to talk about, we're just not going to have time to dive into all of the Trump stuff. There's always a lot going on with Trump. And I feel like I kind of skip over him because there's just there's it just hurts my head sometimes the back and forth between all of that. And I think that there are other things going on that are better indicators of our society and of our culture and of our politics as a whole than Donald Trump. So let's go into one of those first topics, which is Rashida Tlaib and her anti-Semitic comments. So Rashida Tlaib is a freshman congresswoman. Uh, She is Palestinian. Now, this is also the woman who said that she believes that we should impeach the MFR when she was first elected. Uh, So that's kind of how we heard of her. She is good buds with AOC and Ilhan Omar, other freshman congresswoman, and she also has a map in her office of the Middle East and where uh, Israel is. She put a little sticky note over that and wrote Palestine with an arrow. Now, this caused a lot of controversy, especially in the Jewish community, saying that this is basically her uh, her supporting the Palestinian obliteration of Israel, which of course a lot of Palestinians do want. They want the obliteration of Israel so they can take control of the entire region. And so that was kind of strike one. There's probably been other strikes before that, but strike one against uh, the Jewish commu- uh, community that kind of approved that she uh, was or had antisemitic leanings. And then this latest comment is probably the worst strike against her in that regard Uh, so she was on on monday she was on a yahoo news podcast And she was asked to weigh in on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. She had already tweeted about it, of course, a historical madness, saying that the Palestinians are being oppressed by Israel. We talked about last week what the reality is in that and what's really going on between Palestine and Israel, how Israel is acting in self-defense. And this does not mean that we always take up for Israel in every single circumstance if they are in the wrong. But in this particular conflict, there is no question between uh, Hamas, who runs Palestine, and in Israel who is actually doing the targeting of civilians and that is exclusively Hamas. Now um, she was asked to weigh in on this again on Monday even though she had already tweeted about it last week and Talib's uh, position of uh, in her uh, position of a one-state solution and Talib stated this she said there's always kind of a calming feeling I tell folks when I think of the holocaust Yes, you 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 just, you just heard that correctly. There's always kind of a calming feeling I tell folks when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, their human dignity, their existence in many ways have been wiped out in some people's passports. So if you can't read the passive aggressiveness that is coming from this, that she is trying to make her comment come off as, I am so glad that the Palestinians offered refuge to Jews after the Holocaust, but she's also trying to take ownership on behalf of the Palestinians for this refuge that was given to the Jews, and it was not on the part of the Palestinians at all. And she's also trying to passive-aggressively insert in there, yeah, we did this so self-sacrificially at the cost to our own lives, at the cost to our own livelihoods and freedoms, we gave refuge to the Jewish people, That's just not true. It's not true. And how crazy of a tone in which to speak, in which you are speaking of the Holocaust. Really? You have a calming feeling over you? Uh, She was condemned, of course, for her comments, um, including President Trump. He weighed in on this saying Democrat Rep Talib. I don't even know if that's how you say her name. That's not actually how it's spelled, but we kind of just all switch the A and the L and we just go with it. So I'm just going to go with that too. Uh, Democratic Rep Talib is being slammed for her horrible and highly insensitive statement on the Holocaust. She obviously has tremendous hatred of Israel and the Jewish people. Trump tweeted. Can you imagine what would happen if I ever said what she said and says, of course, I mean, this is true. Can you imagine if President Trump said this? Can you imagine if he said, I get a calming feeling when I think of the Holocaust? Oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine the headlines, how crazy Democrats would go over this, how they would, Democrats would pounce on this, as leftist media like to say of conservatives, whenever we are justifiably outraged by something crazy that the left does, they would have not stopped talking about this. It would have been the cover of every magazine. It would have been the opening monologue of every show on MSNBC and CNN. I can't even imagine if Trump had said something like this. Uh, According to the New York Times, Uh, This is a quote, but in Republicans telling uh, Miss Tlaib never uttered the words tragedy and horrific persecution of the Jews. Instead, Representatives Steve Scalise and Liz Cheney, the number two and number three Republicans in the House seized on the words, a calming feeling in the headlines of back to back statements they issued Sunday casting Miss Tlaib as an anti-Semite. So you'll notice this trend in the media that when a Democrat says or does something that is completely outrageous. The story is never that this Democrat did or said something completely outrageous, it's that conservatives overreacted. So this language that they seized on the words, that uh we casted Ms. Talib as an anti-Semite, that is that is the point of their story, that we overreacted, that we were outraged needlessly by this. Not what Ms. Tlaib actually said. That is always the main that is always the main story for them. If you look at uh if you look at headlines about Uh, abortion, for example. It's always that we are taking away choice, that we are always freaking out over something like the New York law or the Virginia bill. It's never that, oh my gosh, these extreme measures to allow abortion up to nine months gestation are being passed. And this is a huge change in American morality and American policy. That's not the story, which it should be because it is an extreme change. It's no, it's conservatives reaction because we hate choice and love the patriarchy. Well, it's the same thing here. Republicans are guilty of casting Ms. Tlaib as an antisemite. It's not that she made comments that are decidedly antisemitic. Um, so not only though, did Republicans call for a lot of Tlaib's apology, uh, a lot of, I don't know why I said that, call for Tlaib's apology, but uh, a lot of people on the left, uh, called for her to reverse or say something about her, uh, historical inaccuracy. So John King of CNN actually called out Tlaib for her mischaracterization of the Palestinians, uh, relationship with it, with the Israelis pre-World War Two. The reality is that the Jewish presence in that area where they are right now, uh, currently known as Israel, dates back thousands of years. And so what Talib was trying to say was that the Palestinians were there first, which is a big source of the conflicts between Palestine and Israel is whose land is this really? Well, Israel was there before the Palestinians were. This was Israel's land before it was the Palestinians' land. The only reason why that land is significant is because the Jewish people are there and because of the Jewish people. The modern migration of Jews dates back before the Holocaust by many decades. It started with the migration of the Jews from. Uh, Yemen in 1881. Uh, with the Balfour Declaration of 1917, the British government supported the establishment of a Jewish state in the area, an idea that was actually rejected by the Arabs. Um, and during World War II, the Palestinian leader at the time met with Adolf Hitler and allied with the Nazis. So, this idea that the Palestinians were a refuge for Jews who were being persecuted by the Nazis was, is wrong. Uh, Palestine allied with the Nazis um, as the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum says Al Husseini who was the leader of uh, of Palestine at the time collaborated with the German and Italian governments by broadcasting pro Axis, anti-British and anti-Jewish propaganda via radio to the Arab world inciting violence against Jews and the British authorities in the Middle East and recruiting young men of Islamic faith for s- service in uh, German military uh, Waffen SS and and auxiliary units. Uh, and so after World War II, when the Jewish people declared the state of Israel, their official proclamation said this, we appeal in the very midst of the onslaught launched against us now for months to the Arab inhabitants of the state of Israel to preserve peace and participate in the upbuilding of the state on the basis of full and equal citizenship and due representation in all its provisional and permanent institutions. But the Arab people rejected this. They instead had their leaders uh, encourage them to flee Israel. And the very next day, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Iraq, all Muslim countries, attacked Israel. And so uh, this idea, this fantasy, this fairy tale that Tlaib uh, is recounting is completely off base and shows a level of anti-Semitism because uh, she refuses to acknowledge the true plight of the Jewish people after the Holocaust and how cold and hostile uh, the Palestinians were not even just that, but downright, uh, downright oppressive the Palestinians were toward the Jewish people Not only when they established their state, but before they established their state by allying uh, with the Nazis. So it is insane. It is out of the realm of reality. It is out of the realm of comprehension that she would say that she feels a sense of calm. Publicly, she says this in regards to the Holocaust, because the palace the Palestinian people offered refuge to the Jewish people in the area of Israel at the cost to their own lives. I mean, is that the kind of propaganda that she's feeding herself on a daily basis? I mean, that's really, really scary Orwellian stuff. Things have just gone right down the memory hole. And she has decided to rewrite history to appease her own biases. Um, no democratic candidates for 2020, by the way, have said anything about this. None of them have criticized her. None of them have said, hey, this isn't right. This is anti-Semitic. Why? Because as we talked about last week, anti-Semitism is mainstream in the Democratic Party. Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi demanded that President Trump and Republican leaders apologize to Miss Tlaib for their gross misrepresentations, she says. The number two House Democrat and the number t- uh, number two, number three House Republican uh, traded pot shots. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders of of uh, Vermont also jumped in defending Ms. Tlaib and chiding the president for his ugly attacks. Uh, speaking to The Hill in an email, House Majority Leader uh, Hoyer said, If you read Rep. Tlaib's comments, it is clear that President Trump and congressional Republicans are taking them out of context. They must stop and they must owe her an apology. Of course, fellow anti-Semite uh, Ilhan Omar also said that this was completely unfair against Ms. Talib. I mean, it is crazy how much Democrats will bend over backwards to say that criticism of a Muslim person who unduly criticizes Israel is Islamophobic. I mean, they will go as far as they possibly can to completely ignore anti-Semitism. Remember that resolution that they tried to write up um, against anti-Semitism because of Ilhan Omar's comments, how all Republican politicians who support Israel are just controlled by the Benjamins, which perpetuated an old anti-Semitic trope. Remember when Democrats were supposed to draft some kind of resolution or sign some resolution against anti-Semitism and they couldn't do it. It ended up just being a resolution against bigotry in general. Why? Because you had people like Linda Sarsour and CARE, which is a front group for many uh, Islamic terrorist organizations, uh, pressure Democrats in Congress uh, against writing a resolution against anti-Semitism because they are anti-Semitic themselves. Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite. Rashida Tlaib, anti-Semite. And they know that they are going to get Cover in the media, who are just going to cover the outrage that Republicans have against these kind of comments, and they're going to get cover uh, from their leaders in the House. Nancy Pelosi is just a puppet now. She is completely uh, subservient to these freshman Congresswomen, to Ilhan Omar, to Rashida Tlaib, and to AOC. She has completely lost control of the Democratic Party. If the Democratic Party at any point in recent history had any dignity, it's completely lost it now. I mean. They are full-on embracing and glorifying anti-Semitism through this kind of fairy tale that has been perpetuated and promulgated by someone like Rashida Tlaib, who apparently feels really warm and fuzzy when she thinks about the Holocaust. And I'm not trying to take that out of of context. I read you her entire comment. I get what she was trying to say. I don't think that she was trying to say that she loves the Holocaust. I don't think that that she was trying to say that... um, She's excited by Jews going into gas chambers. I don't think she was trying to say that, but I do think that what she ended up saying is still wrong. It is still anti-Semitic to say that she had a calming feeling knowing that the Palestinians gave Israel refuge when that wasn't true, when Palestine actually allied with the Nazis and rejected any sort of peace deal when, uh, when the Jews resettled in Israel. Sorry, I got tongue-tied for a second. Uh, That is anti-Semitic in and of itself. So I am not trying to decontextualize her. I'm not trying to mischaracterize her at all. And that's something also that we see with these freshman Congresswomen is that they insist that they are constantly being taken out of context, that they are constantly being attacked uh, by, by Republicans for not, you know, for just by, by just lying about them. When really all we're doing is quoting them. That's all we're doing. All we do is we hear a quote by AOC or Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar. And we say, well, this is what they said. And then we get attacked for being bigots for literally just quoting them. They make it so easy to criticize them because they say ridiculous things every single day. All we have to do is point to their own words and they say, oh, I can't believe you would point to my own words and criticize me, you bigot. Stop saying crazy things. But they can't stop saying crazy things. That's the thing. Rashida Tlaib will not stop saying crazy things. Ilhan Omar won't. AOC won't. Why? Because they believe crazy things. It's not just like Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump has is not a very good communicator. I think that he gets tripped up on things. I think that he says some stuff that he doesn't mean or he didn't think through. Uh, I think that a lot of the things that might be true sometimes for these freshman congresswomen, but I think a lot of the things that they say are coming out of a deep seated and a deep felt ideology, Uh, particularly Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. I think that they just didn't realize that their anti-Semitism either A, was anti-Semitism, or that their anti-Semitism would meet any kind of conflict whatsoever. I think it's just they have learned for so long to hate Jewish people, and they have been so conditioned by anti-Semitic tropes probably their entire lives that they didn't even realize the things they believed were uh, misinformed stereotypes of the Jewish people. That's what I think is going on, and so every time they say something like, oh, Palestine, we were such a nice refuge, or oh, people who support Israel are just controlled by the Benjamins. They've just believed that for so long. It's so deeply embedded in their belief system that, that when people criticize him, they're like, oh, I thought, you know, I thought that everyone believed that. No, not everyone's an anti-Semite. I know that's shocking to both of you. Um, okay, I want to move on to something that is equally just hilarious. Well, that wasn't hilarious. It's hilarious in a more like ironic, sad way. This is hilarious in a more genuinely hilarious way. Uh, So as you know, we talked about on Friday, uh, the Georgia bill that was signed into law by Brian Kemp called the heartbeat bill, which prohibits abortion uh, after a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which is usually about six weeks. And as we covered, uh, this does not this does not uh, include people who have or women who had miscarriages. It does not include people who have been raped or who are victims of incest. It doesn't include those people uh this only includes people who are getting an elective abortion for the sake of convenience and when a fetal heartbeat is detected so that those are the only people that this law covers you can go read the bill for yourself and you can see that that is true um so after that, people started freaking out, um, started saying, well, this is taking away all of women's rights. This is taking away autonomy. You probably saw a lot of misinformation. People saying uh, women who have miscarriages are going to be imprisoned. They're going to be investigated, taking away all these rights. Sexual assault victims aren't going to be able to get an abortion. Well, none of that is true. You can read the bill for yourself online. The people who are perpetuating these lies either, ha- either haven't read the bill themselves or they have and they are just trying to drum up some sort of outrage. Uh, so after the legislature passed the bill, Alyssa Milano came out and she said, Guys, I have a really good idea. I am launching a sex strike. And what this means is that women, pro-choice women, don't have sex And this is how we're going to show them. This is how we're going to pressure these legislators to reverse this law. We're going to have a sex strike. And she thought that this was a grand idea until everyone on both sides of the aisle were like, Alyssa, you're stupid. People on the right side of the aisle were like, oh my gosh, wow, this is great pro-choicers are finally taking our advice because we've been saying forever that you shouldn't have sex unless you want to get pregnant. Of course, from a Christian perspective, we believe you shouldn't be having sex until you're married. That's what we believe. And so now you're going to, you're going to, uh, you're going to fall in line with us. You're going to fall in line with the religious right by saying abstinence until you're ready to have a baby. Perfect. That's what we've been telling you to do. I thought the abstinence didn't work. I thought we weren't supposed to encourage people to not have sex. I thought that you were supposed to have sex with whoever, whomever doesn't matter and consequences be damned. That's what I thought. We've been saying for a really long time, hey, don't have sex if you don't want to get pregnant because that's how babies are made. And they've said, oh my gosh, how could you ever give us that kind of archaic advice? We will never take that kind of advice, you anti-feminist footstool of the patriarchy we will never bow down to your bigotry you bible beating bully that's what they've told us and here we have Alyssa milano pro-choice feminist saying oh no no we're not gonna have sex unless we want to get pregnant and we all on the right say amen girl amen now there are people on the left of course you didn't like this either because apparently now i'm trying to get into the leftist mindset here it perpetuates this idea that women are, um, women are commodities, that women are the givers of sex, and that men are the consumers of sex rather than the other way around. Apparently, this is kind of exploitive or objectifying of women's bodies to just be used either as reproductive tools or as um, sexual objects that's apparently what the feminists on the left are saying that, hey, this is stupid. Alyssa Milano is getting so defensive about this. She's saying, hey, we might not have a choice after we get pregnant, but we have a choice before we get pregnant. And I'm exercising that choice not to have sex. And I'm like, great. Will you please? I will. I will join this rally. I will join the sex strike rally and I will be up there linking arms with you, Alyssa Milano, and say, Yes, personal responsibility is great. Unless you are raped, no one is forcing you to get pregnant and no one is forcing you to have sex. This is a great way to make sure that you don't get pregnant. Abstinence has a 100% success rate. This is awesome. Thank you, Alyssa Milano. Let me know if you want to speak at the Republican National Convention. Um, This is really, really, really great as a self-own. She wrote in a CNN op-ed, our reproductive rights are blatantly and systematically being stripped away before our very eyes. Abortion care is a normal and at times necessary medical procedure, but anti-choice activists have strategically chipped away at abortion rights and access for decades with the hopes of overturning Roe v. Wade. Really? Is that true? Because New York just passed a bill That is now a law that says you can get an abortion for any reason up to nine months, as long as it falls under the wide umbrella of mental health. Virginia tried to do the the same thing. Other states have tried to do the same thing. So is it really us? Is it really us that's going in uh, a different direction than we've been going in for literally the entirety of the pro-life existence? I don't think so. I think it's the pro-choice side that's getting a little, little, a little more extreme. And now y'all have come full circle to where you actually think that there's responsibility to be taken before you have sex. Thank you for getting on board. Thank you very much. It's just, it's just hilarious. It's just really great. I hope that this takes off I would love it if feminists, um, if, if they would just stop reproducing for a little bit. And I, is that mean to say? I don't know. But when I hear people like AOC or Alyssa Milano say, oh, we're not going to reproduce anymore. We're not going to have sex. And I say, okay, that's okay. Like I'm okay with the only people uh, having kids uh, to be conservatives or to be religious conservatives or to be Christian conservatives. Like I'm okay with that. I think that that would probably be pretty good for the world. I saw this other tweet by some blue check mark. I don't even know who she is. She said, she said, feminists boycott sex with conservatives. And I'm like, good, good news, Pam. Her name was Pam. That's what I remember. Good news, Pam. Conservative men have been boycotting sex with feminists for a really long time. So this will be a really easy boycott for you guys. You're not going to have to worry about it at all. Like, Of the maybe three conservative men out there who are interested in having sex with a feminist, I'm pretty sure that they'll be able to find other fish in the sea that aren't crazy. So it's just all it's all very funny how they are just coming into the reality that, oh, my gosh, you don't have to be sexually promiscuous. Like you can actually take steps to not get pregnant unless you are a victim of sexual assault mind-boggling. I know. Why didn't Christians think of that? Gosh, I've learned so much about morality and responsibility from Alyssa Milano. Uh, Now, I know I just spent the past 10 minutes being sarcastic, so I think that it will be a good transition into AOC. So AOC tweeted the other day uh, that (laughs) <laughs> Apparently, that republicans Republicans are ridiculous for making fun of her for saying that the world is ending in twelve years. Um, this is a technique of the GOP to take dry humor plus sarcasm literally and quote fact check it like the world ending in twelve years thing. you'd have to be have the social intelligence of a sea sponge to think it's literal, but the GOP is basically Dwight from the office. so who knows? Um, Okay, I'm going to play this little clip of AOC saying that we only have 12 years to dramatically change our policies so that climate change doesn't overtake the world. Millennials and people and, you know, Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is... your, Your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it okay so i just want does that sound i don't i does that sound sarcastic to you i don't know i mean if you want people to take your policy proposals seriously then you should probably speak in literal terms right and not hyperbole and not use sarcasm to bring up if, if the world is really ending like if climate change is that big of a deal if we are in a climate crisis why are you joking about it that's not a joke If I think the world is ending, I'm not going to joke about it. So why would you joke about it? But that's not the only time she said this. She did this video uh, with a publication and I'm not even going to play it. But she, she it was basically like an animation of saying it was like her from the future saying, oh, this is what I did to combat climate change. And I knew I only had 12 years to do this. So was she being sarcastic there? Was she being sarcastic in this animation of her speaking from the future and um, and saying we saved the world? from impending doom i knew that i only had 12 years to dramatically change the economy and change the structure of the united states in order to combat climate change was she being sarcastic was that her dry humor then i highly doubt it this 12 years number has been perpetuated a lot it only now is she saying that it's not literal because she's embarrassed by it and she realizes that it's not true i mean a beta award came out and said oh it's not 12 years it's 10 years so this is what they have to do though. They have to create some sort of crisis in order to get, to get you to get on board with their radical policy positions. Uh, but this is exactly what she does. This is exactly what she does. She says something, she is checked on it. People say, hey, that's not accurate. That actually isn't right. Or criticize her for something ridiculous that she says. And then rather than saying, oh, Okay, let me correct myself, or I spoke incorrectly, or this is what I meant to say. She criticizes the other side for criticizing her, which of course is exactly what Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and all Democrats do. It's the problem of the criticizer has nothing to do with the substance of the actual critique. And so that's what she does. So she plays the victim immediately. She says, oh, you know, it's just because I'm a woman of color. It's just because I'm young. It's just because they can take advantage of me. Or she says, wow, y'all are so stupid for actually believing me. How could you, you're Dwight from the office okay if we're Dwight from the office then you're Kelly and I don't think that's that much better. I think I would rather be Dwight than Kelly girl. Uh mm, come on. So this is what she does though. She can't actually take any legitimate criticism she can't actually take any pushback she can't actually reform something that she said and just say hey I got something wrong. No she's got so much pride she's got so much arrogance And when she is called on something, she doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't. She's got so much hubris. And I think ultimately that will be her destruction. It's not going to be her absolute ignorance. I don't think... I think it's going to be her pride, that people are just gonna get annoyed with it. Even people uh, on her own side, I think they're gonna be like, who are you? And it's not because you're young, it's not because you're uh, a woman, it's not because you are a woman of color, it is because you don't know very much and you're not very articulate. And so you are in that way an easy target. And so you're gonna get a lot of people on the right and the left, the left probably in their back rooms, they're probably shaking their heads and rolling their eyes kind of, you know, pinching the bridge of their nose and thinking, why, 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 why is this girl a Democrat? And why is she representing the Democratic Party? They're probably doing that silently, whereas conservatives, of course, are outright about it. But I, I would guess that a lot of Democrats and Republicans are saying the same thing about AOC. It's just one is saying it out front and one is saying it behind closed doors, because the fact of the matter is she has not proven to have a whole lot of substance. That is why she is being criticized. If I were her, I understand not wanting to acknowledge your ignorance, not acknowledging that you don't know that much. I get that. But I would just be quiet. Like I just wouldn't talk as much and I wouldn't be as arrogant and I wouldn't be as prideful. Just don't say anything. Just sit back, learn a little bit and get done what you need to get done. Let your staff write your speeches and do your stuff for you. And Represent the people of your district. I think that's fine. You don't have to do clapbacks on Twitter where you're constantly embarrassing yourself and contradicting yourself. You don't have to do that. Oh, man. Okay, I don't have time to get to the Chips Ahoy thing. I'm going to answer a dating question because I told this person that I would answer... So, um, I got a question from someone who is, uh, who is dating a guy who is not a Christian. This person is a Christian. She is uh, a strong believer and she really cares about her faith, but she's dating this guy has been dating him for a little while and he treats her really well. And, um, he, she feels like, okay, this guy treats me better than any other guy that I've dated before, regardless of faith. And, you know, I want to stay with this person, uh, And so this person is asking for advice. Is this okay? Shouldn't it matter how someone treats you? And of course it should matter how someone treats you. But if you are a believer... And you are not just a believer nominally, like you're not just a Christian in name only. You're not just someone who goes to church on Christmas and Easter, but you are someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you are in a relationship with someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Something's going to give. And it's probably going to be your relationship with Christ because this new person makes you feel really good. This person makes you feel tangibly loved. That acceptance and that approval that you have been longing for that we all long for in a significant other um, is finally being satiated. And so what's probably going to happen is that your faith is going to wane and you need to ask yourself if that's worth it. And you might tell yourself, no, 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 it's, it, that's not going to happen. I've got a strong relationship with Christ. That's not going to happen. I've continued to go to church. I've continued to read my Bible, Okay, unless that person that you are dating quickly repents and comes to know Christ and genuinely expresses a desire to come to know Christ, I guarantee you your relationship uh, with Christ, unless you also or unless you break up with this person, is going to end up faltering. Um you cannot serve two masters. It is too dating and marriage is already difficult. Uh, loving another person, sacrificing yourself for another person after those honeymoon feelings have gone away is already really difficult. And if at the end of the day, you cannot look someone in the eye and trust as a woman to a man and say, I know that even though you don't like me right now, that you love me like Christ loves the church and that you are dedicated to me as Christ is dedicated to the church, then I don't know how you have any real confidence confidence. confidence. Yes, he treats you well right now because you guys might be in love and you have these wonderful romantic feelings, which are all great. I think wonderful romantic feelings are awesome. And I think they're a a gift of common grace from God that it's wonderful to be attracted to someone. It's wonderful to have those, like, those first few months or even years of dating and marriage where you are just head over heels for that person. You can't stop thinking about them. You can't eat, you can't sleep. That's awesome, that's wonderful. But those things fade and life gets hard. And when life gets hard, when the going gets tough, what do you have to stand on at the end of the day? It's not going to be your feelings because those are fleeting. Those are going to be gone. What do you have to stand on? Is it going to just be that, okay, at one point you really liked this person, at one point this person really treated you well? Or is it going to be the covenant that you made before God uh, to love one another in the way that Jesus has loved you? Because that kind of love is radical, it is forgiving, it is gracious, it is unconditional, it is unwavering. Um, It is self-sacrificial. If you don't even have that foundation, what do you have? And when it comes to raising your children, I mean, raising kids, I'm pregnant. And so I don't know exactly what this is like, but from what I've seen, what I've Experience secondhand raising kids is hard. Uh, you already have disagreements with your spouse on how to raise your kids because you were raised in two different ways. You have different opinions on discipline. You have different opinions on the kind of food they eat, the kind of sports they play, things like that. You you have disagreements on money. You have disagreements on all of these kinds of things. But again, at the end of the day, if you know that your central value system is based on Christ, you can get through anything. If you know that at the end of the day, you both want your kids to love Jesus and to be more like Christ, you, you can you can figure out the rest of the stuff. But as long as you have that as your foundation, you're okay. But if you don't have that as your foundation, it's like building a house on the sand rather than on uh, any kind of firm, solid, uh, firm, solid foundation. I know I was repetitive, saying foundation twice in a row, um, but that but that's what it's like. And so I do not encourage anyone, any Christian to date a non-believer. I know sometimes it works out. I know stories of people. I have friends, parents who one was a believer, the other one wasn't a believer. They ended up getting married. The guy became a believer. Um, that happens. That happens. That is the exception. It is not the rule. And here's what I'll say that I always say. When I give people advice, it is better to be single and sad than trapped and sad. And so you might be sad being single. You might think, I don't know when I'm ever going to find a husband, if I'm ever going to find a husband and I'm lonely and I just want a man to love me. And that is a sad feeling. That's a lonely feeling that every woman that I know has felt. We have all felt that way. But what's worse than that? Is the feeling of being trapped in a marriage that you have said yes to for the rest of your life and waking up one day and realizing, what did I do? What did I do? This person doesn't love Christ, so this person can't love me as Christ loves me. Understand that God loves you far more than this person does. God satisfies you far more than this person does. And he has set up something good in Christian marriage that is not just uh, a suggestion. It is a command in the reflection of Christ in the church. It is supposed to be, um, it's, it's exemplified in Ephesians 5, which is a gospel reality, a spiritual reality, not just a physical reality. So that's my encouragement to you. This is bigger than you. This is... um more important than what you feel like right now. This is not only the rest of your life, but it has eternal implications as well. So that is my encouragement to you. Okay. I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day and I will see you here on Friday.